Children's Homer, Part 1. Chapter 9 Said Menelaus, over against the river that flows out of Egypt, there is an island that men call Pharos, and to that island I came with my ships, when we, the heroes who had fought at Troy, were separated one from the other. There I was held day after day by the will of the gods. Our provision of corn was spent, and my men were in danger of perishing of hunger. Then one day, while my companions were striving desperately to get fish out of the sea, I met on the shore one who had pity for our plight. She was an immortal, Idathea, a daughter of the Ancient One of the Sea. I craved of her to tell me how we might get away from that place, and she counseled me to take by an ambush her father, the Ancient One of the Sea, who is also called Proteus. You can make him tell you, said she, for he knows all things, what you must do to get away from this island of Pharos. Moreover, he can declare to you what happened to the heroes you have been separated from and what has taken place in your own hall. Then I said to that kind nymph, Idothea, Show me how I may take by an ambush your immortal father, the ancient one of the sea. Said Idothea, My father, Proteus, comes out of the sea when the sun is highest in the heavens. Then would he lie down to sleep in the caves that are along the shore. But before he goes to sleep, he counts, as a shepherd counts his flock, the seals that come up out of the ocean and lie round where he lies. If there be one too many or one less than there should be, he will not go to sleep in the cave. But I will show you how you and certain of your companions may be near without the Ancient One of the Sea being aware of your presence. Take three of your men, the three you trust above all others, and as soon as it is dawn tomorrow, meet me by the edge of the sea. So saying, the nymph Idothea plunged into the sea, and I went from that place, anxious, but with hope in my heart. Now as soon as the dawn had come, I walked by the seashore, and with me came the three that I trusted above all my companions. The daughter of the Ancient One of the Sea, Idothea, came to us. In her arms, she had the skins of seals newly slain, one for each of us. And at the cave where the seals lay, she scooped holes in the sand and bade us lie there, covering ourselves with the skins. Then she spoke to me and said, When my father, the Ancient One of the Sea, comes here to sleep, lay hands upon him and hold him with all the strength you have. He will change himself into many shapes, but do not let go your hold upon him. When he changes back into the shape he had at first, you may let go your holds. Question him then as to how you may leave this place, or question him as to any other matter that may be on your mind, and he will answer you, speaking the truth. We lay down in the holes she had scooped in the sand, and she covered each of us with one of the skins she had brought. Then the seals came out of the sea and lay all around us. The smell that came from those beasts of the sea afflicted us, and it was then that our adventure became terrible. 
We could not have endured it if Idithea had not helped us in this also. She took ambrosia and set it beneath each man's nostril, so that what came to us was not the smell of sea beasts, but a divine savor. Then the nymph went back to the sea. We lay there with steadfast hearts amongst the herd of seals until the sun was at its highest in the heavens. The Ancient One of the Sea came out of the ocean depths. He went amongst the seals and counted them, and us four men he reckoned amongst his herd. Then in great contentment he laid himself down to sleep. We rushed upon him with a cry and laid hold on him with all the strength of our hands, but we had no sooner grasped him than his shape changed. He became a lion and faced us, yet we did not let go of our grasp. He became a serpent, yet we still held him. He became a leopard and then a mighty boar. He became a stream of water and then a flowering tree. Yet still we held to him with all our might, and our hearts were not daunted by the shapes he changed to before our eyes. Then seeing that he could not make us loose our hold, the ancient one of the sea, who was called Proteus, ceased in his changes and became as we had seen him first. Son of Atreus, said he, speaking to me, who was it showed you how to lay this ambush for me? It is for you who know all things, said I, to make answer to us. Tell me now why it is that I am held on this island. Which of the gods holds me here? And for what reason? Then the Ancient One of the Sea answered me, speaking truth. Zeus, the greatest of all the gods, holds you here. You neglected to make sacrifice to the gods, and for that reason you are held on this island. Then said I, what must I do to win back the favor of the gods? He told me, speaking truth, before setting sail for your own land, he said you must return to the river Egyptus that flows out of Africa and offer sacrifice there to the gods. When he said this, my spirit was broken with grief. A long and grievous way would I have to sail to make that sacrifice, turning back from my own land. Yet the will of the gods would have to be done. Again I was moved to question the Ancient One of the Sea, and to ask him for tidings of the men who were my companions in the wars of Troy. Ah, son of Odysseus, more broken than ever was my spirit with grief when he told me of their fates. Then I heard how my brother, great Agamemnon, reached his own land and was glad in his heart. But his wife had hatred for him, and in his own hall she and Aegisthus had him slain. I sat and wept on the sands. But still I questioned the Ancient One of the Sea, and he told me, of strong Aias and how he was killed by the falling rock after he had boasted that Poseidon, the god of the sea, could afflict him no more. And of your father, the renowned Odysseus, the ancient one, had a tale to tell. Then, and even now it may be, Odysseus was on an island away from all mankind. There he abides in the hall of the nymph Calypso, the ancient one of the sea told me. I saw him shed great tears because he could not go from that place. But he has no ship, 
and no companions, and the nymph Calypso holds him there. And always he longs to return to his own country, to the land of Ithaca. And after he had spoken to me of Odysseus, he went from us and plunged into the sea. Thereafter I went back to the river Egyptus and moored my ships and made pious sacrifice to the gods. A fair wind came to us and we set out for our own country. Swiftly we came to it. And now you see me the happiest of all those who set out to wage war against Troy. And now, dear son of Odysseus, you know what an immortal told of your father. How he is still in life, but how he is held from returning to his own home. Thus from Menelaus the youth Telemachus got tidings of his father. When the king ceased to speak, they went from the hall with torches in their hands and came to the vestibule where Helen's handmaids had prepared beds for Telemachus and Pisistratus. And as he lay there under purple blankets and soft coverlets, the son of Odysseus thought upon his father, still in life, but held in that unknown island by the nymph Calypso. Chapter 10 His ship and his fellow voyagers waited at Pylos, but for a while longer Telemachus bided in Sparta, for he would fain hear from Menelaus and from Helen the tale of Troy. Many days he stayed, and on the first day Menelaus told him of Achilles, the greatest of the heroes who had fought against Troy. And on another day the lady Helen told him of Hector, the noblest of all the men who defended King Priam's city. Achilles, said King Menelaus, was sprung of a race that was favored by the immortals. Peleus, the father of Achilles, had for his friend Chiron, the wisest of the centaurs, of those immortals who are half men and half horse. Chiron it was who gave to Peleus his great spear. And when Peleus desired to wed an immortal, Zeus, the greatest of all the gods, prevailed upon the nymph Thetis to marry him, although marriage with a mortal was against her will. To the wedding of Thetis and Peleus all the gods came, and for wedding gifts, Zeus gave such armor as no mortal had ever worn before, armor wonderfully bright and wonderfully strong, and he gave also two immortal horses. Achilles was the child of Thetis and Peleus, of an immortal woman married to a mortal hero. He grew up most strong and fleet of foot. When he was grown to be a youth, he was sent to Chiron, and his father's best friend instructed him in all the ways of war. He became the greatest of spearmen, and on the mountain with the centaur, he gained in strength and in fleetness of foot. Now after he returned to his father's hall, the war against Troy began to be prepared for. Agamemnon the king wanted Achilles to join the host, but Thetis, knowing that great disasters would befall those who went to that war, feared for Achilles. She resolved to hide him so that no word from King Agamemnon might reach him. And how did the nymph Thetis hide her son? She sent him to King Lycomedes and prayed the king to hide Achilles amongst his daughters. So the youth Achilles was dressed as a maiden, and stayed with the daughters of the king. 
The messengers of Agamemnon searched everywhere for him. Many of them came to the court of King Lycomedes, but not finding one like Achilles among the king's sons, they went away. Odysseus, by Agamemnon's order, came to seek Achilles. He knew that the youth was not among the king's sons. He saw the king's daughters in their father's orchard, but could not tell if Achilles was among them, for all were veiled and dressed alike. Then Odysseus went away and returned as a peddler, carrying in his pack such things as maidens admire, veils and ornaments and brazen mirrors. But under the veils and ornaments and mirrors, the wise Odysseus left a gleaming sword. When he came before the maidens in the king's orchard, he laid down his peddler's pack. The mirrors and veils and ornaments were taken up and examined eagerly. But one of the company took up the gleaming sword and looked at it with flashing eyes. Odysseus knew that this was Achilles, King Peleus' son. He gave the youth the summons of King Agamemnon, bidding him join the war that the kings and princes of Greece were about to wage against Troy. And Achilles was glad to get the summons, and glad to go. He returned to Phythia, to his father's citadel. There did he make ready to go to Aulis, where the ships were being gathered. He took with him his father's famous warriors, the Myrmidons, who were never beaten in battle. And his father bestowed on him the armor and the horses that had been the gift of Zeus, the two immortal horses, Xanthos and Balios. But what rejoiced Achilles more than the gift of marvelous armor and immortal steeds was that his dear comrade, Patroclus, was to be with him as his mate in war. Patroclus had come into Pythia and into the halls of Peleus when he was a young boy. In his own country, he had killed another boy by mischance over a game of dice. His father, to save him from the penalty, fled with him to King Peleus. And Achilles' father gave them refuge and took Patroclus into his house and reared him up with his own son. Later, he made him squire to Achilles. These two grew up together, and more than brothers, they loved each other. Achilles bade goodbye to Phythia and to his hero father and his immortal mother, and he and Patroclus with the Myrmidons went over the sea to Aulis and joined the host of the kings and princes who had made a vow not to refrain from war until they had taken King Priam's famous city.